welcome to a podcast called Intrepid. I'm Stephanie Carvin. Listeners, Ottawa is occupied. On January 28, 2022, a so-called Freedom Convoy of truckers rolled into Ottawa and set up camp. The origins of this convoy is that it was supposed to be a protest against mandatory vaccination for truck drivers to cross the Canadian-U.S. border. This quickly expanded into a protest about all mandates associated with the pandemic. After a weekend protest, which may have brought as many as 8,000 individuals to Parliament Hill, most participants went home. But a loud and determined core group of truckers and their supporters settled in, building fortifications and food and refueling stations throughout the city to keep their protest alive and noisy. For a week now, residents of the downtown core have been subject to nonstop noise, harassment, and fireworks going off at all times of the day and night. Businesses have had to shut down, and there have been multiple reports of harassment of individuals wearing masks and those who are adhering to public health guidelines. So what's behind this protest? Well, there's a lot of extremism, but also a $10 million war chest crowdfunded by Canadians and likely other supporters from around the globe. And it seems to promise to help the organizers keep their protests going until their goals are met. Importantly, as the money came in, so did the energy around this protest, one seemingly complementing the other. However, as the protest has turned into an occupation, and we've seen hate symbols, harassment, and other crimes downtown, GoFundMe announced on February 2nd that it was suspending the campaign, putting it under review to be sure that the organizers were compliant with the platform's terms and conditions. As should be obvious, this $10 million is a lot of money, and one that could have a huge impact on the future of politics in Canada. It also raises questions about extremist financing and possibly even clandestine foreign interference in Canada. So to unpack all this, I'm joined by Jessica Davis, a member of the Intrepid team and president of Insight Threat Intelligence. Jess, thank you so much for joining me again. You are in, I don't know if it's occupied territory or next to occupied territory, but there is some honking. Thanks for having me, Steph. I think I'm proximate to the occupation. Okay, that's good. You're, it's nice to know that you're safe. So this movement, I, I think it's just worth stating that, you know, there's been a lot of people talking about how this is a democratic movement. It's a movement of peaceful protesters. And, you know, being in Ottawa, I think we can argue that it's really anything but. It's a very loud movement and appears to have been organized by a number of individuals with fairly distasteful I'm just going to use the term distasteful or extremist backgrounds. This includes Tamara Litch, who was part of the Yellow Vest Canada movement and is now a part of the Maverick Party, which is a Western separatist party. BJ Dykter, I believe his name is. I may be saying that wrong. Dykter. Um, he's made Islamophobic remarks in the past and has appeared with Maxine Bernier and Pat King, who's also formerly of Yellow Vest Canada and has engaged in rhetoric describing things as white genocide. And in December of 2021, talked about solving Canada's political problems with bullets, right? This is not, these are not normal aggrieved Canadians. These are people who hold fairly conspiratorial worldviews. Some of them were behind the 2019 United We Roll convoy, which was there, it was much, much smaller, much less successful. But they've also been trying to engage in multiple kinds of convoys over time. It just seems to be the timing of this kind of as we enter into the third year of the pandemic, it seems to have caught fire in a way that other previous attempts haven't. And so, you know, we saw this kind of 
protest, which occurred on the weekend. It was relatively peaceful, but we saw, let's be honest, hate symbols. We saw swastikas. We've seen Confederate flags. We also saw a three percenter flag, the three percenter of, of course, being an actual listed terrorist entity in Canada. So, you know, again, we shouldn't be that surprised that a rally organized by extremists has extremist elements in it and has now seemingly moved into an extremist kind of tactic in the sense that it's no longer really about democratic process. It's about actual harassment of individuals who live in Ottawa, downtown, and who have put forward some fairly odd ends. So for example, there was a memorandum of understanding, which called for the uh, dissolution of the government, the formation of a citizen, self-appointed citizens council uh, that would involve the Senate and the governor general. You can, it's not hard to find online. It's there. You can read it. I don't recommend it. We have seen in over the course of the past week, people who are wearing masks, they're harassed. We saw a homeless shelter be harassed. A woman's shelter is currently undergoing harassment with some of the individuals in that shelter having to leave and go to hospital. Businesses have been attacked. The Rideau Center has been shut down now for a week. There's been fireworks. Uh, there's been a lot of honking. It's really the honking that I think is just keeping everyone up at all hours. But even and today, today is February 4th, we saw some odd announcements. The OPP declared that the line, which is one of the anti-vaccination anti-lockdown movement um, has been sending people USB keys with malware on it, which is a fairly odd turn. We don't know exactly who's behind it, but it may be the case that people are, are resorting to cyber means in order to make their point across. So all of this may not have been possible without the GoFundMe. Right. And that was a lot uh, of an introduction there. But I, I think it's what's really important to say here is that all of the activity that we've seen in over the past week was really perhaps injected with an energy that came from the fact that GoFundMe was able to raise $10 million. It was promoted by Donald J. Trump, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, the actor Rob Schneider, who apparently is still around. And we were watching this as it went from a few hundred thousand dollars through to 10 million. And it, it really is something. So let's I thought we would walk through this today because you've been doing a lot of really interesting work on threat finance and how that may play a role in what's actually happening here in Ottawa. So the first question I have for you, and, and maybe this is pretty basic, but just for just let's just get everyone to the same level here. What is crowdfunding? So crowdfunding is the process of basically raising funds through a call to the public, to your friends, to your family members to contribute money to a cause. There are platforms now that exist specifically for this. So GoFundMe is one of them. Give, Send, Go is a specifically Christian one that exists. We've also seen other ones like Indiegogo that are raising money more for like business purposes. Ultimately, it's this sort of way that people who maybe don't have access to these to big networks of friends and family can get access to a worldwide network of people who might be interested in donating to their cause. I want to say off the top, though, that the vast majority of crowdfunding campaigns, including GoFundMe, are for legitimate causes that are, you know, really important human interest things like, you know, paying your medical bills. That's particularly common in the United States. For actual charitable purposes, charities like registered charities in Canada raise money through crowdfunding websites and all these kinds of things. So that's sort of what crowdfunding is in a nutshell. And in this case, it's been really used for um, a bit of to a bit of a different end. And I, I want to apologize ahead of time that if you hear honking or outside noise and stuff, I am within the 
environs of the great honking as Justin yes. Ling likes to call it. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I was going to say your listeners, I can hear it. Uh, I don't know if yeah. our listeners can, but yeah, it's, it's a right. It adds to the ambiance of yeah. this particular podcasting under duress. It's great. So I think that's a really important point that you raise. The fact that the vast majority of the crowdfunding that we see is usually for things like, you know, helping bereaved families, helping, you know, people pay their medical bills or other kinds of tragedies. Actually, the largest GoFundMe ever, I believe, was about the hockey bus crash a, a few years ago. And I think that raised over $14 million. So this is actually the second largest in Canadian history, but that's that it doesn't really speak to the kinds of activity you would normally see on the site. But now that being said, do we normally see crowdfunding being used to support extremist causes? There's not a ton of evidence of crowdfunding and particularly crowdfunding platforms being used to support extremist causes. There are a number of sort of other ways that it's used. So social media and direct messaging apps are often used to solicit calls for donations for an extremist cause or a terrorist cause. And then individuals are redirected to send money either through PayPal, potentially through cryptocurrency, or even through direct money transfers. There's a couple of cases where crowdfunding websites have been used. And I think the most interesting one and most relevant here is the case of an individual who was arrested for his role in the January 6th insurrection, actually crowdfunded some of his the money that he needed to get to Washington, D.C. on that Christian website that I mentioned earlier, Give, Send, Go. So there is a history of it. Right. So this isn't totally a unique thing. This is something that we've seen before. Maybe yes. not as successful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the scope and scale of this one is in stratospherically different. Okay. So we have seen some you know, commentary about the fact that a lot of this money isn't just Canadian. I mean, it's very rare, I think, that any Canadian political cause raises $10 million, right? Like, yeah. I think actually $10 million in two weeks, that actually, if, if I'm not mistaken, it actually beat out what all the political parties in Canada raised combined at the federal level in quarter four, right? It actually beats that. So the fact that there is some foreign money here isn't that surprising. And given the kind of foreign support that we've seen, Donald Trump today, of course, spoke out about it again. You know, we shouldn't be that surprised that there's foreign money here, but I mean, is there, does it matter if this money is coming from a foreign source? So there's two things here. So the first one is we actually don't know that there's foreign money here. I strongly suspect that there is, and some of the donors have indicated that they're donating from outside of Canada, but GoFundMe has no identity verification that happens on their publicly available information. So I can say that I donated from whatever country I want or Mars, and that's what's gonna appear in the comment section. The only people who know where the money actually came from are GoFundMe and their payment processors. Uh, I think in this case, it's either Stripe or PayPal, because they're the ones who see the transaction details. So you know, doing any analysis and relying on that publicly available information on the front end is, like, it's really unreliable. Now, we know that the, I think it was the chief of police of the Ottawa Police Service said that they were aware of foreign funding for the convoy protest and specifically, I think, indicated that it was from the United States. However, again, you know, there were lack of details, lack of specificity there that made me wonder if they were perhaps just relying on the GoFundMe publicly available information, which, again, not reliable. The second piece of it, though, is, is it possible that some of this money is coming in from overseas? And I think that this is a very important hypothesis to explore. The 
scale and the speed with which this campaign raised money is just unprecedented. If this money is actually all coming from within Canada, that demonstrates a level of support for this movement that would be, in, frankly, truly astonishing and not represented in any of the political polling that we've seen. So that raises a question, okay, if it's not coming all from within Canada, where is it coming from? Again, I think the United States is a very good candidate for this because there's a lot of cross-border movement that we've already seen in terms of the protesters, a lot of ideological alignment with the individuals involved. But there's also a possibility that this is being direct, partly directed from Canadian adversaries, perhaps, you know, perhaps other states are directing traffic to the GoFundMe or amplifying social media accounts to try to drive interest in this campaign in an effort to sow divisions. Again, right. I think, yeah. I, I, so that's, I think, two really important points is one, we don't know anything for certain, right? Yeah. We, we just don't know. And then the second thing is, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, CSIS and CSE and their reports have consistently identified these kind of divisive social issues as absolutely the kind of thing that a foreign government would target if you know, should that opportunity arise? Now, we haven't seen anything like this in Canada. So I, I, th I would agree with you. I think the, possib the possibility there is strong. This is certainly would be consistent with that kind of thinking. We know that tensions uh, with China are strong, with Russia are strong, and all these kinds of things. So that's entirely possible, but we just don't know. Yeah. And if anyone's saying things for certain, unless our intelligence service who's done the math on this and I'm not sure that's even happened yet. That's just not the case. We just exactly. don't know, but we, ha we can have some reasonable speculation. Yeah, and I think it is important to develop the, that speculation and these hypotheses because that allows us to develop sort of investigative plans for looking at them. And, you know, this also goes to that whole issue of the Parliamentary Committee on National Security asking GoFundMe to come in and testify and perhaps FinTrack coming in to testify. It shapes the kinds of questions that we're going to want to ask them. So my next question was, these donations are anonymous, can we find out? And you're saying really the only people are like Stripe, PayPal and, and GoFundMe themselves would have yeah. that data. Yes. And depending on what and how it gets reported, FinTrack may also have a role to play there. But that's like, there's, there's a huge caveat around that because it's not entirely clear to me how this information gets reported. There's a lot of different reporting requirements, limitations on domestic transactions getting reported to FinTrack and whether or not some of this activity is getting reported through suspicious transaction reports. So FinTrack may see some of it, asterisk. <laughs> Right. Okay. So th you said some things there that people may not be familiar with. So the first one is FinTrack. That is, I don't think we've actually had anyone from FinTrack. You used to work. So maybe that counts, uh, but we, we should probably try and bring in someone from FinTrack on, on the podcast, but FinTrack is what? FinTrack is Canada's financial intelligence unit. So they're responsible for collecting all of the reporting under Canada's anti-money laundering counter-terrorist financing laws. So for instance, they get mandatory reports of any international transaction, electronic funds transfer of $10,000 or more. So if I send somebody overseas money for $10,000 or more, it gets reported to FinTrack automatically. They get suspicious transaction reports. So if a bank decides that whatever I'm doing is really dodgy, they can send a report to FinTrack and say, Jess is being really dodgy. They get a number of other reports that we won't go through in detail just because it's a lengthy list, but that's really their role is to collect and analyze that information, and then they disseminate it to law enforcement and security services. 
So that's really useful. And I'm wondering if you can explain then just quickly, because I know there's a lot of detail you could get into here. And actually, I'm just going to plug your book right now. You have a book, Illicit Finance, which is really useful if anyone is, is more interested on this. But we will talk about that eventually on this podcast when, yes. I don't know, maybe everything stops being on fire. But more importantly, what is a suspicious transaction report? So the suspicious transaction report is really the cornerstone of the, our anti-money laundering counter-terrorist financing regime in that it allows reporting entities so like banks, uh, money service businesses like Western Union, PayPal, all of these reporters to tell FinTrack that they think something is happening that maybe isn't quite right. So this could involve something like terrorist financing, it could involve money laundering. It just allows them this opportunity to report it. So you know, when generally what happens, for example, to make this concrete is when there's like a terrorist incident or even a, a mass shooting or something, the banks or reporting entities will run the name of the individual involved through their systems and databases and then report a lot of that financial activity to FinTrack, who can then analyze it and disseminate it. Okay, so uh, the point then that you made, though, that like really anything over $10,000 that crosses a border is going to be looked at, not necessarily as a suspicious transaction, that's just the law for anti-money laundering purposes. So, and and we have seen on that GoFundMe, there's donations up to $25,000. I mean, not a ton, but there's actually quite a large number of donations that are running the thousands of dollars. So does GoFundMe have to then report that money to FinTrack? So GoFundMe isn't a reporting entity under Canadian law. They're not oh. registered. Well, yeah, they're not registered with FinTrack. However, their payments providers are. So I keep talking about this, right? Like uh, PayPal and Stripe. So I'm going to just quickly explain how this works. Yeah, so, please do. So GoFundMe is like an online platform. They don't actually process the transactions themselves. They rely on Stripe, PayPal, and there's a few others that are listed in their terms of service to process those transactions. So it's actually PayPal and Stripe who are taking your personal information and your financial information and processing the transactions. So they're the reporters under Canadian law. But okay, so that's interesting. So let's say I decide to give um, $10,001 to this campaign. Visa or Stripe takes my information and then provides it to FinTrack. Now, would the, but would it say, you know, Stephanie gave $10,001 to GoFundMe or would it say Stephanie Carvin gave, you know, $10,001 to uh, the convoy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first piece of it is that they wouldn't have to report it at all because you're in Canada. Oh, so if it's coming oh, from if of- I'm in Canada, let's say I'm in the U S yeah. okay. In, yeah. in this yeah. state case, because I'm in Canada, they wouldn't have to report it. But if I was in the U S donating to a Canadian cause. Yeah. And this is Let's where say it's my I, American cousin, Schmephany. <laughs> Schmephany. Schmephany. Uh, that would probably be captured under the reporting. I'm not exactly sure what it would look like though in FinTrack's databases. Like this is the piece that I'm not entirely clear of. Right. I can't even remember if I saw any of this when I was working at FinTrack. So, cause it's been many years now and I couldn't tell you if I had. right (laughs) right yeah like the level of detail isn't clear to me about how that would happen but it probably wouldn't be the campaign itself would probably be at most GoFundMe right okay so this would be a good question for an MP to ask yes and no so the problem here is that the laws around what FinTrack can say publicly are very strict. They have extremely strict privacy laws on both reporting the individuals involved in the transaction and for the reporting entities. Right. 
So and for my good advice, reason, there's a lot of personal data there, right? And it's collected without a warrant, right? There's no judicial right. authorizations here. It's kind of a form of mass surveillance that we've all agreed is what we need. Wow. So this is why there are these privacy protections in place, right? This is why it's so strict for them. And so my advice to MPs has been and will be, it's about framing your questions appropriately. So not asking about specific reporting entities like PayPal or Stripe, because they can't actually answer those questions in public, but asking about the process in general. So about crowdfunding in general. Right. Okay. But presumably law enforcement could request that information. Yeah. The relationship when we're talking about disclosure of financial intelligence is really different. That's where you get that detailed information. Still lots of lots and checks and balances around that. If law enforcement needs to know something about Schmephany and they have, they can ask FinTrack if it meets their grounds for disclosure, it comes back. They can also get it through a warrant if they have sufficient information. So there's two different ways that law enforcement can do that. Interesting. Okay. So let's get into some of the more details here. So one of the things we do know is that GoFundMe originally suspended the campaign when they saw this getting massive. And there's probably a very nervous compliance officer uh, looking at this going, what is this? What's happening? Someone who's probably in California doesn't necessarily know the politics behind this, but maybe aware from, I don't know, a lot of people tweeting at GoFundMe about this, that there could be an issue here. So this is the first time the campaign was suspended. So they said, we're going to suspend and make sure that the organizers have a plan that is consistent with our terms and conditions. And Mm -hmm. that plan was provided to them. And so they released of the 10 million, $1 million. That's correct. And from what I understand, although I've had no independent confirmation of this, that money was released directly to a bulk fuel supplier. But that is a lot of fuel. Yeah, a million dollars of fuel? Yeah. And I've reached out to some of the companies that I think are the ones that provided the fuel because one of the organizers tweeted it out, but it wasn't actually the name of any particular company. Um, And none of them have gotten back to me (laughs) about whether or not they provided the fuel to the convoy. But you're right, exactly. Like, so there's probably some very nervous compliance officer, potentially head of legal sitting in California somewhere going, what's in Ottawa? (laughs) So that's interesting. That was released directly to the, I mean, that would make sense. You're giving it to a company, you know, it's not going to go fun things that you you can't do. So, yeah, uh, but, that's... But, but being, but, but that raises like a whole other questions that I, I don't know if we can get into, like, you know, did they just, did everyone just fill up at one location or were there multiple locations where they could fill up? I, that boggles my mind. Yeah. If I, you know, again, I'm going a little bit on assumptions here based on like the research that I've been able to do and, and piecing together these random bits of information, but I think it was like a fuel co-op. So something with like multiple locations. Ah. But again, who knows? Who Nobody knows? takes my calls. <laughs> um, <laughs> glad you took ours. So do we know if there's other sources of cash that are available? Because they've released the $1 million. They've now, and I should say this, they, they, the GoFundMe has actually suspended the campaign. And we'll get to that in a second. But are there other sources of money that are coming in? Oh, yes. So this is where things get quite interesting. So We've now seen the organizers diversifying their calls for money. So there's a whole other campaign that's going on, Give, Send, Go. It's raised a very small amount of money comparatively, which I think also speaks to whether or not the GoFundMe was organic. Because if the GoFundMe was organic and so is the Give, Send, Go, why is there such a disparity in the amount of money that we're talking about? 
you know, there's clearly some sort of promotion of one over the other. We'll leave that aside for now because there's so many different things we can talk about here. Well, no, Mm -hmm. but it it does raise a question. Maybe we can come back to this, but it does raise a question. To what extent was the GoFundMe, the energy that effectively fed into this whole thing, right? Like I agree that that's a really important piece of it. And I think that's one of the elements. Other sources of funds, they've set up, someone has set up some Bitcoin fundraising activities. It's not clear to me that these are directly related to the convoy or that any of the funds are going to the convoy. Like I haven't seen those links uh, established firmly and concretely. And I think it's important to have that level of suspicion or, or, or skepticism here anyways, because the grift in this crowd is strong, yes. right? Like they are very willing, people are very willing to exploit this cause to make money. So just a little cautious in terms of de- describing the Bitcoin fundraisers as convoy fundraisers. The organizers have also solicited funds to a number of different email accounts. So in Canada, for any international listeners, you can send money through email money transfers. It's super easy. We all do it. Very common. And so all you need to do is have have an email address to do that and a bank account. So these are the, the different ways. We've also seen Pat King distributing $50 bills on the street, which... Live your okay. life, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. But he that makes seems some odd life choices. So many. This is the least of them. Um, <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> yeah, this money seems to have been his directly, like so something that he took out of his bank account. But these are all the different ways that that we know of that they are raising money. Right. Okay. And I think you and I both saw some Facebook ads where people were selling things that were supposedly giving where a percentage of the money would be sent to the convoy, but it was never really specified how. So we don't know if this is just continued grift and we don't know if it's not. Now, I think the point that you make, the, the grift with this crowd is strong. There's a number of people who are seeking to make money off of this and not necessarily send it to the convoy, but just want to make money, which, you know, fill your boots, I guess. So nothing we know of has really been as successful as the GoFundMe. Nothing. Yeah, certainly not from the publicly available information. And like the Bitcoin campaigns have raised thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, nothing compared to the 10 million that we're looking at for the GoFundMe. Right. So I guess my next question then would be, so this thing has now been suspended. It hasn't been shut down. It's been suspended. It's no longer on the front page, but it can't collect any more money, which is why we might be seeing some of these other resources. Now, what's interesting to me is that the Campaign seems to have shut down, if I'm reading what GoFundMe is saying correctly, not because this is, you know, helping to promote the occupation of Canada's national capital, but because the organizers were not able to do paperwork. I'm not sure why GoFundMe shut this, has frozen this. They seem to be hedging with a lot of different language. So certainly the terms of service is in the statement and the terms of service specifically reference violence and political violence. Right. The terms of service, uh, the, the GoFundMe statement also specifically mentions that due diligence piece. So I think there's a number of things that are happening there. And if I had to guess, and this podcast is all about me guessing, I would say that there's probably a concern, like legal concerns, both for releasing the funds and not releasing the funds, that they're trying to walk that fine line of not getting sued by anybody and trying to figure out who is more likely to do us real damage here. The organizers of the convoy, if we refuse to release the funds and then this all evaporates, or who knows who else, right? So I think that there's a lot of different things happening there. I think for sure we can say that the reputational risk that GoFundMe is 
enjoying at the moment is exceptionally high. Every time the protesters do something bad, GoFundMe takes a real hit here. And reputational risk is a really important part of the financial system and the financial sort of, and the management of the financial system. Right. Risk is, is everything. I mean, we did a podcast a year ago after January 6th, where we talked about de-risking and why individuals who are associated with a listed terrorist entity can be quote unquote de-risked from banks because they don't want to be seen as participating in any kind of funding whatsoever that may be seen as extremist or terrorist in nature, right? So exactly. Right. So so risk is really is everything. Reputation really is everything here. So okay, that's interesting. So when I read the statement, it just seemed like they were saying, well, they just didn't hand in the paperwork on time. So we had to suspend this just in case. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of a lame excuse, but there you go. Now yeah. to deal with this, we saw in what was one of many bizarre press conferences we've had in Ottawa this week that the organizers have set up a charity in order to handle these funds. Now, this seems to be opening an entirely new mess. What's up with that? Yeah, so every time somebody who doesn't know anything about charities law starts talking about charities in Canada, I think my eyes roll so far back into my head that I I can barely breathe. So in this case, yes. It's been a painful week for you, yes. It's been a very painful week for me. (laughs) I can barely see straight. The organizers talked about setting up a charity. What we're pretty sure happened is they set up a not-for-profit corporation. These are very different entities under Canadian law. Right. Under Canadian law, if you're a charity, you are falling under a lot more scrutiny from our charities regulator. There's a whole like anti-terrorist financing provision around that. They get access to classified information to do their due diligence on you. It's not the same thing for a not-for-profit. Charities can issue tax receipts. Not-for-profits cannot. So- they're not a charity. It would take a year to get registered anyways. This is not real. They are, from what I understand, a not-for-profit. I'm still trying to figure out what the name of that not-for-profit is. I've done some basic searches and haven't come up with it yet. Maybe the database hasn't been updated. Stay tuned for that. But basically, they're establishing a corporate structure in order to be able to receive these funds. And Good to be clear, and- they're saying they're doing this. We, we don't actually know if they're doing this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they have established the not-for-profit, mostly because like establishing a corporation in Canada is so easy. Like you can do it in 20 minutes with a lawyer. So like, it's really not a big deal, but yeah. So they're establishing the structure. The problem is of course, like if GoFundMe accepts this as sufficient structure to release the funds, this corporation now tied to these extremist organizers will get that money. So lots of questions. It's not clear what's going to happen. It's a mess. It's a mess. And we, love we, mess. Should... we love mess. We love mess. <laughs> oh my gosh, this whole podcast is about mess. Okay, so that's a really interesting element here. So we'll stay tuned on that. Now we've, I wanted to make this short and, and, and sweet. We've gone on. It's a long podcast. So you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, what's really going to be, there's a couple of other interesting elements here that I do want to touch on. One is Bitcoin. Uh, you've already mentioned Bitcoin. Um this seems to be a terrible way to raise money based off everything I know about Bitcoin. Just even processing a transaction can cost hundreds of dollars in and of itself. It's not very efficient. Well, here's the funny thing about Ottawa. So it is actually plausible for them to be, for the organizers of the convoy to be accepting Bitcoin and basically using it for convoy financing needs. There are a number of vendors around Ottawa who accept Bitcoin as payment. There's also a number of Bitcoin ETMs where you can actually go and take cash out using your Bitcoin. So like if you did a direct wallet to wallet transaction, which one of the the campaigns does, 
they could just like somebody could just transfer them a hundred, hundred fifty dollars. They could go to an ATM and take it out. It wouldn't take very long, and it wouldn't cost that much money. We're not seeing widespread use of this. I think there's still a ton of barriers to entry, particularly for this crowd, in terms of understanding the technologies around cryptocurrency. So right. we'll count our blessings there that it's not doesn't seem to be really exploding, but it is a viable financing mechanism that doesn't fall entirely outside of our sort of regulatory regime, but there are some gaps. I can't wait to do a podcast with you on this. I have like, as, as you know, I'm obsessed with Bitcoin and NFTs and just how crazy they are and how this may, extremism may fit into this, but we'll move on for now. Stay, stay tuned listeners. That's what I'm going to say. I guess the last question I have is really what happens when this money, if this money doesn't go anywhere, if it's not dispersed, you know, we may see infighting in 2019, the United we roll campaign money kind of disappeared and didn't go anywhere. And a lot of those organizers or the people involved were, were pretty upset about that. So I guess, you know, we, we talk a lot about money facilitating things and helping things and, and making extremist movements work, but they can also help extremist movements collapse. Yes, money is a facilitator for extremist activity, but you're right. It can be the thing that breaks groups and movements apart. We see it all the time in the terrorism space where there are people who, you know, siphon money off from a terrorist organization and just disappear. It causes a lot of infighting in terms of how funds are used. And I think the same thing is true here, especially when you're talking about like life-changing money, like $10 million in Canada is like even a million dollars in Canada is life-changing money. So, you know, this is, I think we're going to start to see people trying to position themselves as the leaders and the rightful beneficiaries of this money, because it is so, it could be so impactful for so many of them. Now, you know, my bet would be that they would just squander it anyways, because, you know, this group, but yeah. It wouldn't. Okay. Well, I mean, this isn't over yet. We may have more to say about this on the podcast coming up soon. So, but right now I think we'll leave it at that. And just, I just want to thank you for taking the time to really walk through these issues in depth. We, we do what we do here in the nerdiest way possible, but that's because we want to break down these ideas, concepts, and try to figure out where all this is heading. So Jess, I just want you, can you plug your book in your Substack? Yeah, absolutely. So my book is Illicit Money, Financing Terrorism in the 21st Century. That just came out last year. It's with Lynn Reiner Prep Publishers. And my Substack, where I'm doing a lot of the in-depth and fully sort of cited and facted uh, analysis on convoy finances is Insight Intel at Substack. So you can find it through my Twitter, through my website, through probably through Substack itself. Great. Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on and good luck with the great honking. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph. Great to talk to you.